Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Stuff We Love Podcast. I am Scott, and tonight I am joined by a special guest, Dan, as we discuss the 50th anniversary of the legendary Beatles' White Album. Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, let's see. I've had the pleasure of, of knowing Scott for, what, something like 28 years now it's got to be. It's a long time. Absolutely. Uh, and I've had the, the pleasure of, of being a Beatles fan for probably just as long, uh, if not a little bit longer. But for me, music is something that's very important uh, to listen to, to play, being a, a musician as well and uh, kind of a, a amateur songwriter. So uh, any chance I get to, to talk about music and especially the Beatles is, is, is a good day for me. Dan, what instruments do you play? I play uh, guitar and uh, I play bass. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into the music of the Beatles. I got into the music of the Beatles when I was in seventh grade. I had gotten a guitar for Christmas. I always come from a musical family. So my parents are big into music and they always played a lot of music around the house when we were kids of all genres, everything from, you know, classic rock to folk to R&B, Motown, uh, Frank Sinatra, stuff like that. So we always heard a lot of music. And I had, had asked for a guitar for Christmas. I'd been really into uh, to Queen uh, prior to becoming a hardcore Beatles fan because of Wayne's World and, you know, the Bohemian Rhapsody scene. And um, listening to them made me want to play guitar. Uh, so I would try. I got a guitar for Christmas that year would sit in front of the uh, stereo trying to uh, play Queen songs, and that didn't go very well for me. Uh, so I started taking lessons in June of that year, and I'd asked my guitar teacher at the time, I said, well, if I want to learn some really good songs that I could play along to, what are good songs to learn? And he said, you need to go out and you need to get yourself a Beatles guitar book, and you need to buy yourself a Beatles CD or cassette, anyone. And I went and I got uh, 20 greatest hits mm -hmm. and started listening to it. And I think I listened to it endlessly uh, that entire summer, uh, both trying to learn songs and and just digesting every note on that on that that tape, that cassette tape. And from there, I, I wanted to learn more about the Beatles. I wanted to hear more. Um, and I had asked my father if he had any Beatles albums. Um, in his collection. And, and he did, he had one and it was the white album. And I remember going downstairs and, and putting it on and listening to it with his, uh, on his stereo, with his headphones, uh, all each side, uh, beginning to end. And, uh, after that I was hooked. So that's, that's how my, my love for the Beatles started. Now I'll mention before we continue that this episode tonight is going to be the first of several that Dan and I will be having on the show, uh, to celebrate the music of the Beatles and talk about them because they're to this day years after they first got together and decades after they broke up, there is such tremendous interest in the group that is ongoing. Uh, so Dan, I wanted to ask you as well, what was it about that Beatles 20 greatest hits tape that you latched onto? What was it about the band's music that captured you as a fan early on? It's a great question. I think there was, I mean, the melodies, the songs, the, the lyrics, I, you know, I've always been a big words guy. So, uh, you know, getting pulled into um, some of the lyrics and, and I, I think it really, it's one of those situations where uh, 
when you're young, you're not sure quite why things speak to you, but they do. And uh, I think that there was something about the words, the melody, the melodies, their voices, especially John's voice. I think John's voice got me. Um, he was able to, uh, I think, express so much feeling and emotion in his voice, uh, sometimes within the same song. Uh, within one song, he could go from you know pure joy to you could feel like the pain and the agony in his voice, just just what he was singing. And that really pulled me in. Yeah, and the songs were fun to play too. Mm-hmm. Well, Dan, I think I've told you this story before. I'm going to tell our podcast listeners this story, but uh, I want to tell everyone how I got into the music of the Beatles and you play a central role in that, which is why your nickname to this day to me is the originator. Yeah. Because you originated <laughs> my interest in the Beatles. So it was uh, growing up, I was a casual music fan. I do remember my mom actually having that 20 greatest hits tape that you referenced. And I did listen one day we were in high school. I, it was sophomore year, and we were in study hall, and you were holding a CD in your hand. This must have been around 1996, give or take, if 95, 96. Mm-hmm. And I said to you, what's that CD? And it was Paul McCartney, All the Best, which is a greatest hits compilation that came out, I guess, in the 1980s, if I'm right about yeah, I that. Think it, I think it was late 80s, yeah. So I looked at this, and I, I thought the cover was very cool. I saw Paul. I didn't really know that much about him, as crazy as that sounds. But he, I thought he looked like a cool guy. I liked the way the cover looked. And I looked at the track list on the back. And honestly, the only song that I vaguely even knew was Live and Let Die. And that's probably because I knew the name. Probably couldn't even hum it for you how it went at the time. But this CD was in my mind. And uh, growing up, I lived near a local mall. So one Friday after school, as I often did, I went over to the mall. And I found myself in a CD store at the time. And I wanted to buy a CD. But I couldn't decide what CD to buy. And I guess the only thing I had in my mind was the Paul McCartney CD, Beatles. That must have been percolating in my mind. So I went Mm. over to the Beatles CD section. I looked at the collection that they were selling. And I saw one of the albums was A Hard Day's Night. And I was drawn to the album, I think largely because of the cover, which was very unique. For those that don't know it, it features multiple images of the individual members of the group. And I like the mop top hairstyle. And I got that album. That was my first Beatles album. And I went home and I listened to it. And it's not an exaggeration to say. I mean this completely, fully accurately. When you showed me that McCartney CD, it actually was a life-changing moment for me. Because what that inspired me to get that Beatles album. And I never heard music like that before. The Hard Day's Night album has 13 tracks, all of them written by Lennon and McCartney. It's a little over 30 minutes in length. Every song is perfect. It's concise. It's melodic. The lyrics are fun. The vocals sound great. I just was totally entranced. And that set me off on my course of becoming a big Beatles fan. I bought the entire catalog. Whenever anybody asked me what I wanted for a gift, I looked at what Beatles albums I didn't have and asked for those as gifts. And this was around the time as the Beatles anthology was coming out. So you had the ABC documentary. You had the VHS release of the 10-hour documentary, the anthology CD releases, Tons of stuff in magazines about the Beatles. So it was a perfect time to become a Beatles fan. And its long-term impact for me is that it set me on a course to becoming a bigger music fan in general. Because once I finished building up my Beatles collection and then building up my solo Beatles collection, where do you go from there? So I started getting into other artists. And the experience of building a Beatles collection, and really building a collection of one particular artist and learning everything about them, I've carried that over into many other artists that I listen to, whether it's Frank Sinatra, the Beach Boys, Simon and Garfunkel, 
um, even to a couple of artists who are current today. So uh, that's why we call you the originator. You originated it all. <laughs> you changed my life, my friend. And um, that's what got me into the Beatles. So I was very excited for this White Album reissue the 50th anniversary. And before we get to talking about the album itself, one more question I wanted to ask you so I could learn for myself and our listeners could learn. Tell me about how you consume your music today. How do you listen? Is it, it's 2018, digital music is popular, streaming is increasing all the time, physical medium sales are down. How do you consume your music? Um, well, I, I think uh, you probably remember I, I it takes me a while to, to catch up with the time so I'm always a, a couple of steps behind so mm-hmm. I think uh, I was still I still had uh, vinyl records and cassette tapes uh, in, in uh, middle school and high school when everyone was switching to CDs uh, it took me a while to start building a CD collection uh, it took me a while to get onto the to the digital kick um, and most of my stuff is on is on the digital I mean it's just easy now you could carry your whole music collection wherever you you're going with you but I feel like a lot of the songs in the digital format, it, it kind of takes away from, I feel, the way that they were meant to be heard. And a lot of the, the mixes, uh, you lose a lot from that transfer from, uh, from CD to, to the digital format, just as I feel like in a lot of ways you lost a lot moving from vinyl to, to CD. Uh, so for me, for, for the, the artists and the bands that are really important, I still have to have a physical product. Um, CD and and I started to get back into vinyl and starting to build a vinyl collection up again. And who would those artists be? So for me, that's I mean naturally the Beatles, um, Dylan, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, uh, Queen, what about uh, the Doug? Beach Boys, which I have to Beach thank Boys. you for. Oh, thank you. So I orig- I'm an originator for you there. <laughs> yeah, I mean for me, I, I I don't think I had an appreciation of them as as more than I, I thought their music was great. I love their songs, but to me they were a kind of a jukebox band, uh, you know, a greatest hits kind of band uh, until I think you started to, to talk to me about pet sounds and, and, and the uh, effect and inspiration that had on, on, on McCartney and the Beatles and creating Pepper. And I went in and delved into that and digested that. And, and that brought a whole new side of, of, of that band for me. And opened me up to the genius of, of Brian Wilson and everything that they did, and and what a fundamental part they were to to rock and roll in the in the sixties and where it went, you know, in the seventies and and to today. So, right. uh, yes, I have you to thank for that. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. And, <laughs> no problem. Uh, what about David Bowie? Is he? In, I think he's another big artist. Yes, right? yeah, Bowie is a big artist for me. Mm-hmm. Um, love Bowie, and uh, twenty sixteen was a hard year. Yeah, you know, that was a difficult difficult time. So. It's still um, shocking to think in the past few years that we've lost artists like David Bowie, Tom Petty, Prince, and mm-hmm. others. It's kind of it, it, Tom Petty. The other day, I was thinking about the fact that he's passed, and it's uh, it's jarring. It kind of you forget about that in the sense that he's such a vi- he was such a vibrant artist, and to think that he's no longer with us, it's it's very painful. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult, uh, especially you look back at. Um, you know, the footage from uh, George Harrison's induction into the Hall of Fame and that that final performance of While My Guitar Gently Weeps yeah. with, with Prince and then Tom Petty. And I think both of them are no longer here. It, it's, it's crazy to, to even try to digest that. Yeah, it does. It does hurt. It's very uh, it's it's sad, tremendously sad. 
But on a happier note, Dan, why don't you kick off our discussion now on the 50th anniversary of the White Album? Sure. So 2018 marks the 50th anniversary of the Beatles' self-titled album, which uh, we have all come to know as the White Album. And uh, in celebration of the anniversary, just like last year with Sgt. Pepper, there's been a number of 50th anniversary releases, um, including a vinyl reissue and a six-disc set, which includes a remix of the original album. Uh, It also includes the uh, famous Escher demos uh, recorded at at George's house uh, shortly after the group returned from Rishikesh. And also a number of discs discs of sessions uh, from the the recording, as well as a 5.1 mix of the album. So it's an incredible set. I've been religiously listening to it over the past week. Um, So it's, it's definitely something to check out, especially if you're a big fan. Now, Dan, as I mentioned to you when we talked earlier today, I was away on vacation when the uh, when the collection came out, so I'm catching up on it. I'm not as far into it as you, but I, I think I'm proficient enough in all White Album stuff to uh, to engage in the discussions tonight. Oh, definitely. So, as I mentioned earlier, mm. this is the kickoff to the Stuff We Love podcast series about in w- w- the band that is, in my opinion, and maybe yours too, Dan, the greatest band of all time. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. Beatles. I, yes. I think it's hard to argue that. Some will, but it's hard to argue. I know people that will push back at that and say, I, I, the, yeah, the Rolling Stones and others. And I, I respect them. I respect their opinion. I just strongly disagree with them on, on that. As much as I love the Rolling Stones, by the way, as much as I love the Stones. But um, let's kick off the discussion. Dan, I wanted to ask you, this collection, as you mentioned a second ago, has a remix of the White Album that was done by Giles Martin. Giles is the son of the Beatles legendary producer, George Martin. I wanted you to give me your opinion on how you think the remix of the White Album sounds compared to the versions that we've been listening to all these years. Well, I think uh, one of the things that is great with with this remix, as well as the remix from Pepper, is I think what Giles Martin has been trying to do is create a, a stereo mix of the album, uh, Pepper specifically, that was closer to what the Beatles had actually desired when they, when they mixed the album in the first place. So if you go back and you listen to the mono mixes of the early albums up until 67, those are, those mono mixes are what they put their blood, sweat and tears into. They were always present for those mixes. The stereo mixes were kind of left for, you know, the studio engineers to put together. So uh, to hear those mixes today is, is really um, eye-opening because that's the songs as they were intended. Mm-hmm. With the White Album, the White Album is really interesting because it was the last album to receive a mono mix the st- and a stereo mix. After that, it was just stereo mixes. They had put a lot of effort into the mono mix, but the stereo mix is the one that we've been hearing for years and years. So uh, I think what he's trying to do is, is to create a stereo mix that also brings out elements of the songs in the mono mix that really John Paul, George and Ringo wanted there. You know, they, that, that was what they kind of meticulously listened to and tried to pull out. Those were the mixes that they, that they wanted the fans to hear. Um, so it's incredible to hear the, these incarnations of the songs. We're hearing things. I think that, have been buried in, in, in the stereo mixes that we've gotten, even the remastered ones in the past. Mm-hmm. So what I've noticed about some of these tracks is in a lot of them, the bass and drums are up more in the mix, more prevalent. Uh, we can hear what, what Ringo and Paul are doing 
um, or George or John, if they're playing bass on, on tracks or drums on tracks or um, whatever. Um, so we can hear that more prevalent. The voices are, the vocals are, are clearer, uh, crisper, and almost sounds like they're, they're in the room with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in some of the songs, you could hear these little nuances that maybe you haven't really noticed before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really an, a, 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 almost a brand new listen. Um, I agree. You know, one of the things that for me stood out both on Pepper and the White Album are the drums. They really kick. I was listening to uh, the part of the album towards the beginning where Dear Prudence, the song ends and Glass Onion kicks in with, I guess, Mm -hmm. two drum beats. And it sounded so clear and so loud. It was uh, it kind of took me by surprise, actually. And even the uh, the strings that were used on the track Glass Onion, when you listen to it on CD, they're much more pronounced. You really hear them more clearly. And you're right. You definitely hear vocals that you didn't necessarily hear before. Uh, like at the end of Back in the USSR, I hear some more vocals, kind of them mm-hmm. shining around in the studio. Uh, the it, it, To me, the White Album always had, I, I don't know how to describe it, and maybe I'm totally off base here, but it always seemed to be a little bit muffled on the sound. It didn't seem as clear to me as an album like Pepper or the stuff they did on Magical Mystery Tour, or any others. Does that make sense to you? Did it seem a little bit, in the older version I'm talking about, it seemed, Mm -hmm. I don't want to use the word distant. I think that might be too strong a word, but not as vibrant. Does that, do you you agree or no? Oh, no, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. I I think there there are specific tracks too that had that that more muffled quality. So um, to me, back in the USSR, definitely on the original, versions that we're, we're used to from the past was very muffled. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, happiness is a warm gun while my guitar gently weeps. There was, I feel like a lot, I mean, I'm so tired. A lot of tracks throughout the, the, the record kind of didn't have that vibrance, um, that we were used to from past recordings, mm-hmm. um, especially in the bass end. Um, and I always attribute it to, to, for a lot of the tracks, Paul, not playing the Hoffner or, or the Rickenbacker playing for the first time a Fender jazz bass mm. on a lot of those tracks um, or George or John, when they were playing, you know, the bass lines using the six string, uh, the Fender six bass that, that you see in the, the, the Hey Jude video and um, in the footage from let it be. And I thought, well, maybe it was just a duller sound, mm-hmm. but you hear it now and uh, it really brings that bottom out and you can hear, that, that vibrance and that energy that was lacking in the past. Right. So along those lines, the, the next question I was going to pose to you, which we could get into now, is what tracks really stand out between the old and the new version? And uh, a couple of them, certainly the, the a track like Your Blues sounds unbelievable <clears throat> nowadays with this remix. And it's it's clear, it's loud. You real uh, that song always rocked. It, it really rocks now in the remix version. But even some of the slower songs, the softer songs. I remember listening to Julia last night when I was listening to the remix of the album, and you could hear John's vocal in such a way that I don't think you could in the previous version. And the interaction with the guitars. I actually said the word "wow" out loud when that track ended because I was blown away by how good it sounded. Uh, long, 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 which always to me I had a hard time hearing the vocals in that song for many years. Now on the remix, the vocals are very much up front. It's like a new song that I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are a couple of the tracks that really stand out. Uh, what about you? What tracks did you find a big difference between? 
Um, well, it's funny you bring up long, long, long. I noticed that as well. I always felt on the original mixes that it was almost like they put the organ up over George's vocals. Like the level that the organ was at, Paul's organ, mm-hmm. should have been where the vocals were. And uh, now they've kind of rebalanced that so you can hear George's vocals as opposed to you know Paul's organ kind of dominating the mix. Um, I, I find helter skelter incredibly interesting to listen to because you can hear more of all the 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 craziness that's going on in the back of the track um you hear john's bass more which i feel is is almost vital to the the chaotic sound Mm -hmm. of of that track because it's it's almost um rudimentary and sloppy and it seems like it's it's at any point it's going to just fall apart and and but it doesn't it, it keeps it keeps going underneath all of this and it really uh, i never noticed it before but it really kind of is the driving force of the track in a way um is that that just that bass underneath um so you can hear a lot more of that and all the little other squeaks and squeals and the backing vocals really come up in that as well mm-hmm. um piggies listening to piggies now i you i've you could hear what is happening underneath the strings and the harpsichord. Right. Um, you can hear that, you know, George's acoustic um, underneath and, and Ringo's tambourine. Um, and it's just, it brings the track to life more. You know, some people have been saying, I've seen this on Facebook and a couple of other social media sites, that they don't really hear a difference between the remixed version and the previous version, they felt that Pepper was much more of a pronounced difference. And I really disagree. I I kind of, uh, when I sat down to listen to the album last night for the first time in the remix, I thought to myself right away, wait a second, this this is really noticeably different. Uh, Mm -hmm. Everything that we've just said about the drums and the bass and the vocals, it stood out to me. I guess it shows that people can hear things in completely different ways. But I do think the general consensus from what I'm seeing, what I'm reading and hearing is that most people do notice a significant difference between the remix and the prior versions. And, and Dan, I want to ask you as a music fan, do you have a problem at all with the idea of Giles Martin doing a remix of the album on the grounds that, well, this isn't George Martin doing it, it's not the Beatles in the studio doing it? I, I personally don't. I, I believe there's room for everything. The previous version is still going to be available for sale. I think it kind of just enhances the album using modern technology. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't have an issue with with uh, the remixes. I, I mean, I think it's it's I think it's a great way to celebrate, you know, these milestones of these these albums. And it's great to hear them in a different way. It, it keeps them fresh. And we kind of as fans and, and listeners, we get to relive the the magic moment of hearing it for the first time, because in a way we're hearing the album again for the first time in a different way. Mm hmm. It does. Uh, last night when I was done with the album, I thought to myself, this is not the White Album I've known all these years, and I'm very glad to have it now and as part of my Beatles canon, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, Dan, the, the White Album for a long time was associated with the beginning of the breakup of the Beatles, as you know. Uh, it seems that in Beatles lore, this is the album where they started to really come apart. John had met Yoko, was spending a lot of time with her, uh, there was tension, supposed tension between members of the group. Ringo talks about in the Beatles anthology how he actually quit the group during this time and was brought back in through the encouragement of the other band, of his bandmates. Uh, so people really always viewed 
the White Album as the beginning of the end. And there's, it, I think there's no doubt that to a certain degree there is a level of <clears throat> individuality that comes across on the albums. You have a track like Blackbird, for example, which is just Paul alone. Uh, you have um, Julia. Any, uh, is John the only Beatle on Julia? Do you know offhand? Is that? Yeah, John is the only Beatle on right. Julia. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you have, I remember Ringo on that same Beatles anthology interview, he said, you listen to a track like Your Blues. And that was cohesive right there. The band was together in a small room. They were tight on, the tr- on, the, uh, on that track. Does listening to the new box set, and you've listened to the outtakes. I haven't gotten into those yet. Do, do you, what do you think about when you think about the White Album now? Does it sew a band coming apart? Or now that you know much more about the backstory with the outtakes and what's been released, do you think they were tighter than we've always suspected at this time? Well, I, I mean, I think, we can't get away from historically what was happening within the group at the time. And like you said, there's a lot that points to this being the beginning of the end for them. Um, we're seeing the more individual personalities shine through in, in the songs. Um, we're seeing more songs where they're working uh, as individuals. So I think there's 30 tracks on the white album of the 30, I believe only 16 feature all four of them hmm. on the track. Uh, but when you delve into the sessions and you listen to some of the sessions, especially the sessions for I will, which is, I believe on the, on the sixth disc. Okay. Uh, and you're listening and even, um, some of the other tracks long, 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 and, and some of the studio banter in between. And you can see there's still a, a spirit of camaraderie and, and a jovial spirit between them. So there's a lot of jokes being cracked and, and, uh, a lot of laughs and, um, even the conversation that's going back and forth or, you know, between them are trying to uh, help each other with getting the nature of what the author of the track wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. I, I, I don't think um, when they're putting these together that Paul or Ringo or Giles Martin are trying to rewrite history and pretend, oh, this is all you know, hunky-dory and everything was great at that po- period of time. Um, I think it's just showing especially now all these years later with George being gone and John being gone, that despite there being tensions during that time, they were still able to work together um, and enjoy each other's company um, and, and put great music out. Mm -hmm. And you can really hear that in the Escher demos. I mean, this is before the recording of the album uh, after Rishikesh, there were tensions coming off of the return from Rishikesh with everything that happened there, but it's the four of them in George's house recording pretty much most of the album as well as songs that we would hear on later releases. And it's almost like listening to if, if unplugged was around in 1968, uh, an unpolished unplugged session featuring the Beatles. It's, it's pretty incredible. And the way they were able to play together and work together, you can, it comes through on the recording. Uh, Dan, uh, for our listeners that may not be familiar with this, let me just take a moment to explain what Rishikesh is, because yeah, you've mentioned a couple of times, I may have mentioned it earlier. So in 1960, in 1967, I guess it was, the Beatles were introduced to Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and they became enamored of his teachings. He was big into transcendental meditation. And I guess it was in 1968 that the band, all four members and their significant others at the time, went to Rishikesh to study under him. Uh, learn transcendental meditation. This was a remote part of the world where there was not much to do except for play music and meditate. Uh, the 
other people that were in attendance at Rishikesh included some very notable people like Mike Love of the Beach Boys, Mia Farrow, the actress, and Mia Farrow's sister Prudence, who uh, is the person who inspired the song Dear Prudence from the White Album. By the way, on a total side note, Prudence Farrow was recently teaching a yoga class at the Fest for Beatles fans a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. Which is pretty, pretty <laughs> interesting. Uh, but the, the Beatles returned from their visit to Rishikesh. Ringo came back first because he couldn't handle the food. Uh, they were sort of dissuaded with the Maharishi for reasons that are not worth getting into now. But that's Rishikesh. A lot of the songs for the White Album were written there. And then, as you pointed out, they came home and recorded the Escher demos. Uh, Dan, what what tracks for you on the on the demos, the, the Escher demos, and the studio outtakes stand out as significant? And uh, which ones did you particularly love? Um, well, the Escher demo, it's interesting just to hear some of the songs in their infancy before they became what we know them as now. So a track like happiness, uh, is a warm gun, um, which is very kind of in a very, uh, very basic stage at that time. We, we don't have the, the intro part of the song. It's really the, um, I need a fix because I'm going down section. The mother superior uh, jumps the gun section and that end section isn't there either. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to hear it um, in, in that form and it's early, early form and then what it turned into. Um, you have other tracks that are pretty much finished. Blackbird, as it appears on that demo, is the, uh, the almost the same as what's recorded. Um, for me, the tracks on that, on that disc that I really enjoyed are the ones that weren't released. So I'm hearing George's demo of Sour Milk Sea before it was handed off to Jackie Lomax. Um, hearing Circles, uh, which didn't get recorded by George until Gontropo. Uh, Junk, uh, which was off of McCartney 1, um, being played you know, after they got back from India uh, as a contender for the White Album. Um, Me, Mr. Mustard, and Polythene Pam. Uh, and Child of Nature, which with different lyrics became Jealous Guy years later by John. Hearing those on the disc or, or on the Escher demo disc is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's amazing to hear those. Uh, on the Sessions disc, um, I think the tracks that stand out for me is the version of Good Night that we hear um, featuring, I mean, with all of that orchestration removed, uh, featuring the, the voices of the four Beatles, um, Ringo singing lead, the other three singing backup. Um, it's an incredible thing to hear. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish that that ended up in, in a you know, more polished form on the final album. Uh, the take of Revolution One, which is the, was supposed to be the original take of, of the song before it was scrapped and John came up with, with Revolution Nine is, uh, is incredibly eye-opening. And I kind of wish that ended up on the album rather than uh, Revolution Nine, but that's my, my personal feelings. Right, right. So, Dan... By the way, that, after hearing you speak about that, I'm very eager to actually sit down and listen to the bonus discs. I'm very excited to do that. Uh, I remember watching the Beatles anthology years ago, and George Martin was being interviewed, and he said that he thought that the Beatles, rather than releasing what in essence was a double album, should have released an amazing single compilation, just one, one album, not two, for the White Album. And Paul famously said... It's the Bloody Beatles White Album. Shut up. Or <laughs> I think those yeah. words in the Beatles anthology. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I love about the White Album is that there's so much on there. 
so many different musical styles, so many different vocalists, etc. But I know a lot of Beatles fans have often thought, what would be on a single disc white album if they were going to release a single album? What tracks would they put on there? And I, I've thought about this. I've never actually made a playlist reflecting this. But for me, I would def, I would not put on tracks like Wild um, Wild Honey Pie. I would mm-hmm. not put on Revolution Nine. I would not put on Piggies, which I love George. George is amazing. One of my favorites of all time, of course. Piggies is actually one of my least favorite Beatles songs. I'm comfortable saying that now. And by the way, when I say least favorite Beatles songs, I mean it means I actually like it more than almost every <laughs> song out there in the universe. But I'm just saying overall. Uh, it's interesting because one of my favorite music journalists is this guy, Rob Sheffield. He writes for Rolling Stone magazine. He wrote this amazing book recently called Dreaming the Beatles. And he's been writing a lot of stuff about the Beatles now in a celebration of this 50th anniversary. He said that his two favorite tracks from the White Album were Martha, My Dear, and Julia. And those are actually my two favorite tracks from the album. One's a Paul, one's a John. Very different tracks. Martha, My Dear was inspired, as you know, by Paul's sheepdog, Martha. And Julia was about uh, basically a song to John's birth mother, Julia, who was tragically killed when he was a teenager. Uh, Totally different tracks. Uh, I love Martha, My Dear. I'm sort of going on a little bit of a, getting a little off track here, but I'll just say I love Martha, My Dear, because it's just pure pop joy. It's The melody is absolutely beautiful. It sticks in your head endlessly catchy no matter how many times you hear it and julia i love because i find the lyrics to be unbelievable poetry the combination of the lyrics with the instrumentation that final guitar chord i don't know what note it is but it's beautiful those are two tracks that i would absolutely put on my single disc white album uh other tracks i put on there would be mother nature son uh dear prudence i love martha my dear i'd I really have to go through it but i'm curious dan for you what are some tracks that you would 100% put on? What are some tracks you would 100% leave out? And uh, have you ever done this before? Have you ever actually made a playlist of a single disc white album? Um, I've tried, but it's difficult because there's so much that that uh, that I like um, trying to narrow it down to. I mean, if you if wanting to be uh, accurate and to what the Beatles probably would have done if they put it out as a single album, they probably look at 14 tracks, most of their albums uh were 13 or 14 tracks long so trying to narrow down this this uh, 30 tracks to the 14 uh is tough but i mean i think if you wanted to make a single disc uh definitely i agree with with tracks like wild honey pie not being included um even some of the the other kind of little little interlude songs as much as i love something like why don't we do it in the road um, not not necessarily needed on on a uh, a single disc uh, version of the White Album. Um, for me, tracks that even something like uh, the continuing uh, story of Bungalow Bill, yeah, uh, could could be a fun track. Not necessarily uh, you know necessary in a, on a single disc of of, of the White Album. Right. Um, I think I would agree with, with Piggy, not including Piggies. Um, I would even, if as much as I love George, not include Savoy Truffle. Okay. Um, so for me, that would be one that I would, I would pull off. I would rather see Not Guilty um, oh. on 
the, on the track list. Dan, can of, you uh, tell our audience about Not Guilty? They might not be familiar with that song. Okay, so Not Guilty was uh, one of George's songs. George wrote a whole bunch of songs in um, when the Beatles were in Rishikesh that he came back with. Um, the ones that you hear on the album, Piggies, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. I think Savoy Truffle was actually written a little bit later, long, long, long. But he also had Circles, uh, which uh, was on a later solo album called Gone Tropo. Uh, he had um, Sour Milk Sea, which the Beatles didn't record. That was given to Jackie Lomax, who was an Apple signing at the time. Um, I think rudimentary versions of something and... Um, Maybe even all things must pass. We're starting to put to be put together then and not guilty, which actually got recorded for the white album. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did something like, I think, 102 takes of it. Uh, take 102, I think, was marked best and was uh, was put forward as a, a possibility of being included on the album. Uh, it ended up not being included on the album. And uh, I think the story goes that it, it was between that and piggies and piggies was the one that was chosen not guilty was left off and it didn't get um, released until George redid it in an acoustic version for his George Harrison solo album in 79, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it was released on anthology three. So that was the first time we heard a version of um, not guilty recorded by the Beatles. And it's also included in a, I think disc five on the sessions for this box set. So uh, if you pick up the box that you have not heard, uh, not guilty, definitely check it out. Um, it's a good song. It's a great, it's a great song. Dan, a question for you that just occurred to me. So we were talking a few minutes ago about the track long, long, long written by George <clears throat> and how in the pre remix version, we liked it, but it never really stood out. But in the remix version, it's unbelievable and blows us away. Would you put the remix version of long, long, long on your single disc way down? Oh, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I feel it brings out um, more of of what the what the song is supposed to be. And would you have um, put the pre remix on or no? The pre remix on no. Okay. I, again, it sounds really murky. Um, for a long time before I really started to get into, um, you know, George George's music and then del- delved into his solo stuff and and really got a feel for. Uh, him as a songwriter and, and, and an appreciation for how incredible his stuff was. Uh, it was a track that I would often skip over mm-hmm. sadly enough until I really started to listen to it more and appreciated it. And, um, now hearing the, the, the remix version of it, it's, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't skip past it. It's you, you really, uh, get hit by what a, what a great song it is. Dan, I want to ask you about the song Blackbird. And the reason I want to ask you about it is because this is a track that for me, I hear it, I enjoy it, I know it's a great song. It's a beautiful melody, the lyrics are great. When you think about Paul talking about how he was inspired by the civil rights movement and you relate that to the lyrics of the song when you're listening, it's poetry. But I'm tired of the song, and I I, I really am. And I say that because every Paul tour for the since at least 2002, I guess, when he got back on the road for the first time in a while, he plays Blackbird. And I've heard it a gazillion times. So it doesn't really resonate with me. It's kind of like, okay, let's get through the track and then on to some of the mm-hmm. other stuff. Where, where, are you, where do you stand on Blackbird? Where do I stand on Blackbird? Well, it holds some nostalgia for me because it was one of the first songs I learned to play on guitar. Mm-hmm. that I still remember. So, um, 
always could pick it up and play through it. But uh, it, yeah, it's kind of worn, uh, you know, worn out its welcome in a way. I, I would agree with that. Um, we've heard it so much, and um, it's gotten it, it gets so much attention as being. And it's a great song. It is one of the probably one of the best songs that the Beatles ever wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's kind of served as a little bit of. There's a couple of tracks on the. Uh, first disc of the the white album that I kind of consider bridge pieces to get you from the last song that like really uh, got you to like the next one. So I feel like uh, there's these several, several songs that are kind of like a bridge piece to get you from um, I'm so tired to maybe for some it's Rocky raccoon, maybe for some it's, it's, I will. Um, but yeah, don't you know, pass to get me you by. Through. I love don't pass me by. I love don't pass. Is me that by. on your I single disc? By the way? Fun. I would put it on my single okay. disc because yeah. I think what I, what I think Ringo needs a song, you know, Ringo always had to have a song. Sure. And, um, I feel like the version that we got of, uh, good night is kind of schmarmy and, and saccharine. And, um, and I think, don't pass me by is just fun. You know, it's, it, it goes with Ringo's personality. You know, yes. it's, just, it's just a fun, fun track. And I love the country fiddle on it. And uh, I love his drums on it. And you can hear his drums so much better now in, in the remix. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, Dan, uh, my friend Alan, who I know is a big Beatles <clears> fan <throat> and knows all the albums backwards and forwards. And he says that for him, the White Album is his favorite album. And he thinks it's their best album, the Beatles' best album. Where did you stand on this prior to the 50th anniversary set? Has the release of the 50th anniversary set changed your mind? And uh, why don't you answer those and then I'll chime in with my own thoughts on this. But t- tell me about where for you. And oh, by the way, before you answer that, let me just tell our listeners that what we're going to be doing uh, in the near future is going through all of the Beatles albums. And we'll get into depth on everything ranging from the first album, Please Please Me, through everything else. But for the White Album, since we're talking about it here, <clears throat> where does it stand for you? Um, well, the, the white album is, is probably my all time favorite Beatles album. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think that part of it might be because it's the first Beatles album that I, that I heard from front to back, true Beatles album, not just the compilation. Um, I also like it cause it's so varied, you know, there's so much, so many different styles and, uh, on air on that album. Um, it's really incredible. Uh, my favorite Beatles song of all time, which is Dear Prudence, is on that I album. I never knew that until now, by the way. Really? That's you didn't amazing. know? Yeah, yeah, Dear Prudence is, is my favorite all time. Why? Beatles tell tell song. us why. That guitar part, you know, John's um, finger picked guitar that runs through the whole song, um, was the first thing that drew me in to it. Um, and I spent many, uh, many an hour sitting with a, a guitar trying to trying to get that line down. Um, actually was finally able to do it two years ago. So it took all that time to get the, get that line. Nice. Um, but the, the lyrics too, um, I, I feel like the lyrics are, are incredible. Yeah. Uh, probably some of the best, uh, writing that John did and just the energy of the song. It builds, um, it starts out with this lull and then it builds, you know, the last verse with, uh, Paul coming in, uh, with the kind of that manic, those, those manic drum fills. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's great. It's, you know, just 
one of their best. And those drum fills, by the way, sound unbelievable on the remix. That was kind they of, do. One of the draw dropping moments. Uh, one of, for me, speaking of Dear Prudence, one of my most chill inducing moments while in any part of the Beatles catalog is, uh, for those that don't know, the first track on the White Album is back in the USSR. And then it goes into Dear Prudence. And what happens is back in the USS, back in the USSR fades and the opening guitar chords <clears throat> to Dear Prudence come in. And there's something about the sound of those opening chords that gets me every single time. I get excited to hear the track. It's like, oh, this is good. This mm-hmm. is good. And the lyrics are just amazing. I, it, it really uh, hits you about how good writers the Beatles were when you hear that song. And you listen to what they're saying. The sun is up. The sky is blue. Is blue. It's beautiful, and so are you. Those are just some of the lyrics from Dear Prudence, and that's that's beautiful. That's uh, that's goosebump inducing right there. Yeah, it's a it's 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 a great track. Um, I mean, jo- uh, George's leads in it, which are almost are almost raga in in the sound. You know, it's it's uh, a great track, um, and oddly, you know, a track that only features three of the four Beatles because that was recorded when. Uh, Ringo quit for a short period of time. So yeah. um, you get Paul on drums on that one. Right? Bad time to quit for Ringo. <laughs> Bad time to quit for Ringo. Because that so. song would have actually really showcased some of his drumming ability. I, I think. think I think it would have. Yeah. I think it would have. You know, one of the things that um, I've always noticed about it is up until you get to that last verse, yeah. Paul's pretty stiff. You know, it's really just very stiff hi-hat and, and snare drum. Um, and then he opens up at the end, but uh, I feel like if we would have had a Ringo on it, uh, might not have opened up the same way at the end, but who knows what he would have done with the rest of the song, you know, bringing his style to it. Dan, one of the, for me, the white album is certainly one of my favorites. I think my favorite actually is a hard day's night, but I love the white album. And one of the things that always hits me about the white album is the idea that there are certain parts of the album where the flow of songs is just spectacular. So I'll cite, for example, the first three tracks back in the USSR, Dear Prudence, Glass Onion, as being unbelievable to me. And then you go from starting at track seven, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, into Happiness as a Warm Gun, into Martha My Dear, into I'm So Tired, all top 10 out of 10 songs. Blackbird, Piggies, I'm not, Rocky Raccoon, I'm not as crazy about. I like Don't Pass Me By, not as much as you. But then you go from Why Don't We Do It in the Road to I Will to Julia. And anybody that criticizes Paul McCartney, tell them to keep their mouth shut and, <laughs> and listen to the diversity of his vocals on a track like Why Don't We Do It on the, In The Road and I Will. Two completely different songs sung by Paul in both, case, both cases. The vocal range that he had was astounding. And then on disc two, I, I, of course, I'm talking about CD version. So disc two, the CD, mm-hmm. you know, you have... <clears throat> Your Blues, Into Mother Nature's Son, Into Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except for Me and My Monkey. A couple tracks later, Helter Skelter, Long, Long, Long. It's just unbelievable. And the other point I wanted to make about the White Album, I think with regard to the original version of Good Night, I completely understand where you're coming from. And it was kind of schmaltzy and the way it sounded. Uh, but one thing I will say is that for the last two tracks on the album, you go into, you have Revolution 9, which for those that don't know, I wouldn't, I'm hesitant to even call it a song. It's basically like a endless stream of tape loops compiled by John and Yoko related to a chaotic revolution. Is that, um, do, you, do you agree, Dan, I'm describing? Yeah, it I mean, I think, yeah, they were trying to, 
emulate what a revolution would sound like. And, um, it's, it's, it's a tape collage. I mean, um, they took, I think a part of that, um, session, that session track, the, the original 10 minute, 10 or 12 minute long revolution one that was recorded. And the part after the fade out, they clipped that. Some of that is in revolution nine, but it's just this melange of various chaotic tape loops and sounds and right yeah not really a song not really a song it it is chaotic it's at times even scary to listen to but then you go through from this chaotic track into this lush orchestration of good night closing out the album and one thing about the beatles they to me always had great Mm. opening tracks on their albums but also really great closing tracks in many instances and while Good Night is definitely not one of the top tracks on the album, there is something very cool about ending the album on that note after going through a series of songs towards the end like Helter Skelter and um, Revolution 9 and so forth. So it, um, it, it's definitely one of their best albums, if not their best for me. I really, I really love it. Uh, Dan, I see we're starting to go a little long. That's how much I love talking to you about this stuff. I could honestly it's, talk all day to you about this. Probably. Oh, so could I. Keep it's going. Amazing. <laughs> uh, but our listeners do have uh, busy lives, and it's Thanksgiving week, so a lot's going That's on. That's true. Uh, anything else you want to add on the, about the White Album before we turn to the Stuff We Love segment? This is an exciting set to listen to. I mean, for me, like I said, it's my, my favorite Beatles album. Just an incredible treasure trove of, of track and session highlights. It's 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 a really great uh, like historical document of the Beatles and their powers at really probably the height of their their creativity. I mean, you look at that that period in India, um, the songwriting that they did there. It's immense what what they were able to come up with, mm-hmm. and um, we still had songs from that that were coming out in you know Abbey Road and solo albums, and uh, but a lot of it is here on the White Album. And uh, it's amazing. Dan, you know, I, I know like me, you're very into history. You love studying history. And uh, you obviously know that 1968, when this came out, is one of the toughest years in world history. Uh, when we think back about what happened in that year, you have the Vietnam War going on. You have assassinations such as Robert F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King. <clears throat> you had riots at the Democratic Convention in Chicago. There was so much chaos in that year. It was such a terrible year for so many reasons. To think that such beautiful music was being made at the same time. And what maybe this album meant to many people who were struggling through those times. Perhaps it lifted them up and inspired them. It's interesting uh, I would love to sort of speak to a first generation fan about that and see what they thought when hearing the music of the white album for the first yeah. time. It's really, it's really great. Um, I, I agree with you. This set is great. Like I said earlier, I've not fully made my way through the whole thing, but what I've heard so far, it just uh, amazes me. There's more content here than there was on the pepper set, I believe. And the pepper set was great. So you can only imagine how great this is. And I'll conclude this segment by saying that it, the White Album has been released in many formats, so if you're considering getting this as a gift for someone this holiday season, you have the six-disc set that Dan was mentioning earlier. You have the vinyl set. You have the release of the album itself on CD with the Escher demos. Uh, you have, I think, two vinyl reissues, one with the Escher and one without, and there may even be others out there. So there's a lot of content coming out uh, with regard to the White Album. And if you go on the Internet, you'll see plenty of articles and books and all that good stuff. 
So Dan, let's turn it over now to this stuff we love segment. This is the part of the show where the hosts speak about something they're enjoying right now in the world. Could be anything, a song, a book, a movie, a TV show, a video game. Uh, Dan, you are the guest tonight for the first time. I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell me about something that is a stuff you love. Okay. Well, um, I'll talk about a movie, uh, recently, uh, we talked about the, you know, the different bands that we were into and also being a queen fan, um, recently checked out Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie that was released, uh, beginning of November mm-hmm. and, uh, have to say really enjoyed it. Um, was skeptical going into it because they did take a lot of, uh, artistic license with, uh, things that occurred in the history of the band. Um, there's a lot that's not historically accurate, but, uh, still for me was an incredible film and it really focused on uh, not just one individual, although the story is a biographical film on Freddie Mercury. Uh, it also fo- focused on the band and, and each of them as individuals, as artists, as musicians, how they work together, um, their rise and fall and rise again, and uh, their music, which is featured heavily throughout the, uh, the movie naturally. But we get to hear some revisited tracks that were remixed and done a little bit differently. Um, and it's, it's, it's really to me, uh, a great, a great film. Uh, some of the critics were a little harsh with it, but I feel like that's fitting because the critics were harsh with the band too. So, uh, it kind of makes sense, but, uh, I enjoyed the film. It was a great film and I would recommend it to anyone, especially a music fan or especially if you're a queen fan. Uh, Dan, that's a great recommendation. I know my co-host Jack wants to talk about that movie in an upcoming episode. Maybe you'll uh, come on to share your thoughts on that. Uh, oh, I'd love we'll, to yeah, talk about great. It more in depth. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, my recommendation is a book uh, related to the Beatles. It was written by a guy named Leslie Cavendish, who was the official hairdresser for the Beatles. He wrote a book called The Cutting Edge. It's a fascinating book. I really loved it much more than I was even expecting to. Uh, he, t- to make a long story short, he was an apprentice to Vidal Sassoon in London in the 1960s. And through a lucky twist of fate, ended up cutting Paul McCartney's hair one day. Uh, he became Paul's official hair cutter, and that got him into cutting the hair for the rest of the group. And the stories he tells about interacting with the group and being included in the film The Magical Mystery Tour, as well as his other stories. It's really just a fun read, uh, very engrossing. The Beatles story has been told many times over, but rarely from the perspective of someone that spends so much time with the individual members of the group. And I think that... Uh, all of our fans should check out The Cutting Edge by Leslie Cavendish. We'll link to that on the products page of our uh, website, as well as what we'll do is we'll link to the uh, soundtrack for Bohemian Rhapsody. And, of course, you can uh, visit that on Amazon.com, that site, and purchase tickets to the movie uh, at your local theater or online. Uh, so what I'm going to do now is tell our listeners where they can find us on social media. We have a website at StuffWeLovePodcast.com. On that page, you'll be able to learn about the hosts, view our products page where you'll see links to things on Amazon. If you click the links and make any purchase on Amazon, it supports the show, which is great. We're proud to be an affiliate of Movement Watches. That's MVMT Watches. Uh, Check out their website. If you click the link through our website, uh, it will also be helping out the show as well. Uh, You can write to us, stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at stuffwelovepod. On Instagram, Stuff We Love Podcast, and we have a Facebook page where you could go and like us. And what I would like our listeners to do, and I know that there's many out there who are Beatles fans, because I talked to you earlier today, and you said you were excited for this episode and the upcoming Beatles episodes, is I want you to share with us your thoughts 
on the 50th anniversary of the White Album and just the White Album in general. What tracks are your favorites? What memories do you have associated with the album? And we'll cover it on an upcoming episode uh, related to the Beatles. So, uh, Dan, thank you for joining us tonight. This has been absolutely great. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. I, I'm looking forward to, to future episodes, too. Tonight, the show reached a new level. It's, it's always been great. But this takes us to the next level. This is like local news to 60 minutes right here. That's, <laughs> that's the jump we've made tonight due to your expert analysis. And uh, for, one other thing I wanted to point out, I'm going to conclude on this story, Dan, which I think, I don't know if I've ever told this to you, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Dan and I are both in our 30s. And I don't think you'd hear a lot of other podcasts out there discussing the Beatles where the hosts are in their 30s. You might hear some, but we really love the group, even though we weren't alive when they were together. I was on a cruise ship a few years ago, actually more than a few years ago, probably uh, seven years ago, if I had to guess, something like that. And as they have on these cruise ships, there are music trivia events. They had Michael Jackson trivia, which I lost by one point because I couldn't identify the song Blame It on the Boogie, the Jackson. <laughs> I won Elvis trivia, which was great. And there was a Beatles trivia. And I tied for the win. And the other winner... What they did was they played literally a second of a song and you had to identify the track. And the other winner was somebody younger than me. These were two teenagers, actually, that won as well. And I thought wow. to myself, in this cruise ship, on this cruise ship, in this game, were tons of participants who were first-generation fans that were there when the music came out. And they're losing to people that weren't even born yet when the band broke up. So I, I, was, <laughs> I know that sounds very uh, arrogant for me to say, but I, I felt pretty good that day. I felt no, that's pretty, pretty cool. That's the, yeah, that's a great story. That's cool. <laughs> Dan, listen, happy Thanksgiving to you. You too. Thank you. And happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. We're, uh, we're thankful for your subs subscribing to the show, uh, for your comments, for your feedback, and it really means the world to us. So thank you so much. This has been the Stuff We Love podcast. Thank you, Dan. Thank you.